You're listening to Free Your Inner Guru, a podcast for big-hearted leaders making a meaningful impact in the world. We dive deep into conversations about conscious leadership, choosing a life of personal growth, spirituality, and the self-help industry so you can connect to your inner wisdom and become the leader you want to see in the world. To engage with the Free Your Inner Guru community online, you can find me, your host, Laura Tucker, and the podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can also become a supporting patron or an active member of our private online Free Your Inner Guru leadership community at patreon.com forward slash Free Your Inner Guru. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Charles Wilson. Charles is a musician, a composer, a creator, a performer. His instrument is the piano, and he tours and produces at the highest levels of the music industry. His resume reads like a who's who. He's worked with Justin Timberlake, Rihanna, John Mayer, Demi Lovato, and Cirque du Soleil's Michael Jackson Immortal. He joins me on this podcast to talk about his professional journey, but the catalyst for us meeting was that we were both in Seth Godin's new workshop called the Creatives Workshop. It was a workshop designed to help creatives find their voice and use it in the world to affect change. That's what drew me to it. And as you'll learn during our conversation, Charles uh, was invited to write a classical music album, and he chose to enroll in the course to see if that would be a good environment for composing. Well, we all know that 2020 didn't really start or hasn't really been what any of us expected. And so while we've been in the middle of the pandemic, and while we've been in the emergence of Black Lives Matter and the killing of George Floyd, Charles had been showing up without fail day in and day out to create and show us what he was making. And it was fascinating to me. I have never been a witness to the process of music being written, let alone classical music. So I invited him on the podcast. And during our conversation, we were able to touch on the professional side, but also it was a great opportunity to provide Charles with an environment to articulate his thoughts and his process as he was writing a 13th track to the 12 track album. He got a second request once he was finished, and that was to write a George Floyd piece. So Charles shares what it was like to go back to composing this time to create a piece of music that encapsulated his desire for change and his many personal experiences of racism. He's got some really wonderful and important and heartfelt things to say about the social movement that George Floyd has come to represent. So it is my pleasure to be able to bring you this wonderful conversation with Charles Wilson. Our guest on Free Your Inner Guru this week is Charles Wilson, Charles, I am so excited to introduce you to the Free Your Inner Guru family and oh, wow. and tell the story together of, of how we met. But first, I just want to welcome you on here. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's good to be here. So you and I both started on a creative journey earlier mm-hmm. in the year. Mm-hmm. And it's even to frame it up for people 
listening to our conversation. This journey was in a workshop called the Creative Workshop. With mm-hmm. uh, it was a first run of um, a workshop by Seth Godin, who I've been taking a number of his courses over the course of the last year and a half. And probably what's most relevant is to share that this course started around February 1st, maybe February 8th, but it was before the pandemic Mm -hmm. hit. Right. And so before we describe what that course was like and the experience, I'm very curious about what caused you to join and become a part of that environment where we ended up eventually meeting. Well, it's very, it's a very interesting story. Um, my publisher, um, he asked me, I say maybe November of last year, um, we had a great conversation. Um, and he says to me that he wants to me, he wanted me to do a solo piano album at the time. I had no idea what that meant because I have been playing with bands and playing with you know, you know, I use MIDI gear and, and make beats and everything. So I'm like by myself. Why would I want to be alone? You know, but around February, early in the workshop, um, I went to L.A. to do some writing. And maybe the second day of me writing, he sent me a quote by Seth Godin. And I said, wow, that's super interesting. It's really, really good. He says, well, Seth is doing this workshop thing. Do you want to join? Uh, yeah. What's it about? He says, well, it's a hundred day commitment to writing. He said, so what you're working on right now, you'll be committed to do it for a hundred days. And I said, yes, I'll do it. He says, you know, you pay a dollar, I'll pay the rest of your tuition. Don't worry about it, but you have to be committed. I mean, he said it like five times. Are you going to do it, dude? Are you going to stick to it? I said, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stick to it. So more than anything, I had a, an extreme amount of accountability walking into it. And the next day I joined and the journey started. So to kind of show where things became intertwined, in January, I resolved that this would be the year that I finally sat down and wrote my book. And my book is, um, as I would uncover through this whole conversation about genre in the workshop it the the way the how I've categorized it is it's a self-helpy memoir and you know so it's not advice it's Mm -hmm. writing the story of my life experience which is a pretty lofty thought and intimidating thought to begin with and Five years ago, I took a course on autobiographical writing. I knew I had some stories I wanted to tell. And for five years, I've been plugging away intermittently writing, but never with any kind of commitment. Right. So at the same time as your publisher was speaking to you, I was receiving the emails about this course. And it was almost like the universe was saying to you, oh, you're really going to write this? Right. You know, and dripping this into my inbox. Right. So we get, we join, we get onto this platform. Um, we start on a, a journey of creating what we're going to create. So I'm writing and I jumped right into a couple of the most difficult chapters to, uh, to write. Mm-hmm. And you're, you at the same time, we hadn't seen each other's work yet. 
you at the same time started composing music of a very different genre to what you've been performing. And I think right, right now is when I would like to introduce the, the everyone to what I discovered in being a bit of a, a, a discourse sleuth, checking people out when I saw what they were doing. I tracked you down online. You weren't the easiest to track down <laughs> at the time. Yeah. But I was looking at, okay, so there's a few piano players out there named Charles Wilson. Mm -hmm. Which Charles Wilson am I looking at? It's certainly not the Canadian man who lived, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and then I, I narrowed in on you and I was like, what? Yeah. Who am I in this workshop with? <laughs> so could you give, give us a little bit of, you know, and it's impossible to do without name dropping. You haven't right. just been playing around in bands. Right. You've been playing in bands with Justin Timberlake, Rihanna, yeah. Jackson. Yeah. So at the top of that field. So can you give us a bit, but that's not where you started. So can yeah. you give us a bit of a, a journey from your roots in mm -hmm. classical music with your family right. up to the moment where your publisher is saying, I want you to go over here right. now? Okay. Well, I started out uh, age three and uh, my classical instructor, his name was Thomas Schwartz and he was super tough. <laughs> and he and my mom had a very a pact that they made that, you know, her children were going to play music uh, up until age 18. We were going to study classical music. And after 18, you could kind of do what you wanted to do. But that was the the deadline, the, the marker. Um, so I studied and competed all through my childhood up into high school, um, went to college for music and then went to another college for engineering. Um, and after graduating from the engineering school, I got offered the gig with Justin Timberlake and it just kind of all unfolded from that point. Um, uh, JT was the first gig, uh, Backstreet Boys was the second, Rihanna third, John Mayer, back to Rihanna, back to Justin, back to Rihanna. <laughs> um, I was musical director for Rihanna. I was musical director for Demi Lovato. Um, and then the last tour I did was called Michael Jackson Immortal, and that was in 2014. And um, it was amazing and life-changing. And um, I also worked as a producer for um, Timbaland and did a bunch of hip-hop and, and R&B and things of that sort. And like I say, to get to this point and kind of say, okay, all the way back to the beginning. So back to classical music, you know, so... It's been a great journey. It's been exciting, very exciting um, to share the stage with some of the world's greatest talent. Um, what would you say from that, you know, I'm sitting here, anyone who sees this on, on YouTube eventually, uh, I'm shaking my head because mm -hmm. to that's quite the auspicious start to a career to come right out and yeah. and and drop in at that level because if I'm correct in my thinking, those were some of the years where Justin Timberlake was, you know, re-emerging or peaking on, yeah. on the pop scene as a very different, and there's a whole story about him here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. uh, he came to town um, as part of the SARS concert in two, had to be 2002. I, I was there. It was I, massive. It I was massive. 
Yes. You were there? I was there. So was I. Yes. That concert was amazing. It was so many people. It was, it was one of the most amazing things. It, it was amazing. And some of it was amazing in not such a great way. Right. Right. Yes. So, yes. Um, oh my gosh. So now we have to talk about this. I have yes. a long list. We might be on here for days. Uh, <laughs> I have no list. We're just going with the flow here. Um, but okay. That is crazy because at that time in my life, I had just left the corporate life. So my, my background, I was a teacher, um, then a corporate trainer. Then I was in sales for a few years and fell out hard with my boss and ended up leaving my company, that company, and started my own consulting business. So right in early 2002, that's why I was able to, or 2003, I was able to pick that date because I started my company and I was independent and suddenly SARS hit Toronto. I was working in the automotive industry, uh, one client, and we had a very localized um, recession because the city was paralyzed by fear, right. economics, travel, everything, just the shit hit the fan. So I think right. people um, can relate to that in terms of the shit has hit the fan pandemic wise uh, in a very similar way, but globally yeah. now. So right. you come into town on that tour. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a, an idea of the timing. It's the Stones. They're coming to Toronto. Yep. They are traveling with ACDC and... Uh-huh. Um, I was actually posting about this online for um, more recently because an interview with him, with Justin Timberlake on the Graham Norton show about what happened when um, little poppy JT comes out onto the stage, stage. this hardcore rock metal audience. They didn't treat you guys all that well. No, they didn't. We were ducking things being thrown at us. The whole show. I mean, I ducked. Everything that you could think of, water bottles, baby diapers, a mustard bottle. There was mustard all over my keyboards. I mean, they threw, those hardcore rock fans threw everything they could at us. And we just did our show. We did our thing. <laughs> yeah, he kept going. Yeah, he I kept was going. there. Mm-hmm. So I was there. I was watching this. I was mortified. And I want to apologize to all of Toronto right now, but <laughs> I'm not going to. This was not a finest moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think some fine things came out of that um, that day, including the ability to ha- tell the story on a broader stage. And it was very much a character moment, I think, for probably for all of you, although the focus was on he was the target of Absolutely. apparently not just bottles of water, but bottles of urine. Urine, yes. Yep. All of that, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was a pretty so bad. there's a proving ground, I think, mm-hmm. out there for artists. What did you learn uh, just to bring it back up to big picture before we dive into more present times? You, you're coming out into your music career early. You're, you're at that sort of level of um, visibility and obviously a, a top performer in the field surrounded by other top performers. What were some of the most you know, salient lessons of that time? Um, the good lessons were I guess everything that I had learned up into that point had now had a use, you know, not only, I always talk about touring and I say, well, being on stage and actually performing is the small part of touring. You know, you spend two hours on stage and that's it. You have a whole rest of a day where you have to be around these people and operate within a family environment. So that's why I always say a lot of musicians 
there are a lot of great musicians, but not all are made to tour because a lot don't understand, you know, that fine line that you walk when you're, you know, the brotherhood, the sisterhood that you have to create and establish and maintain within this group. You know, you're, you're out with another hundred, maybe 150 people. So it's very important to understand, you know, the family dynamic and where you fit into this family dynamic while you're on tour with this group. Um, as far as music, it was just, you know, everything that I had studied kind of all into one thing. Um, I remember the first day I met Justin, he asked me to play for him and I played uh, Beethoven Sonata or something. And he was just completely blown away. And he asked me, he said, dude, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 21. He's like, dude, you play like a 50 year old. So, you know, those things kind of came into play later on, especially my skill in arranging, my skill at theory and so many other things. I was able to use those things and help other people in the band, like to understand things. Um, very much helping the musical director and, and, you know, the creative, the whole creation come together. So everything I had learned had just kind of like, now's that moment. Mm, I love that. It's like this full integration of, you know, right from, right from get go yeah. um, with what your parents, with your, your mom in right. particular wanted yeah. for you. Was she a musician? Is she a musician? She is a musician. She comes from the musical. That's the musical side of my family is, is my mother's family. Um, she's a flautist, flautist. And um, I have an uncle who's also a saxophonist, another one who's a singer, another one who was a tap dancer. So all the entertainers are from my mother's side. And, uh, and, before we jump into the piece, talking about the piece that you wrote, yeah. um, named for your mother and wrote mm-hmm. for your mother, mm-hmm. um, let's share a little bit of um, what, what was it like for you now, all these years later, um, being put back into writing and, and composing classical music now, mm-hmm. and then doing it in this semi-public um, environment and just so to give a bit of an idea the idea was that in conjunction with going through some content like a program we were in a feed we each had our own daily feed where every day for a hundred days we were to show up and ship something right and um and then tagging each other very much picture like a closed social media environment where there's hundreds of people there and you're tagging people as part of a a cohort and then connecting online with each other. So you end up starting to, you know, I was tagging you in some of my work and I ended up being tagged in some of yours. And then you kind of hit your regular channels where you go check in whether you're tagged or not. Right. So this, you know, this community sense of creativity is building, but it wasn't behind closed doors, not by any means. No, not at all. It's completely public. (laughs) (laughs) How did you find that? It was so different because I was like, oh my God, he's writing music right in front of my eyes. Yeah, at first, terrifying. Terrifying at first. Like I I couldn't believe that I had to share these days of of writing these little, you know, these, uh, I'd spend hours working on something and it would only be like, 37 seconds and I'm like uh these people are gonna be like oh he's a loser like he doesn't so at first it was extremely terrifying and intimidating um but as I kept posting and and shipping every day 
the love kind of poured in and people were saying, wow, this is great. Keep going. And the community very much helped me to learn my process, to learn how and what ways are the best way for me to write and to ship as well. Yeah. And, and in that environment, ship means pretty much to show, to publish it somewhere. And I will have, I have to sort of call myself out. Um, unlike you, uh, did you, were you a hundred days consecutive? Were you in there? hundred? Yeah, I was a hundred days consecutive. Oh, you're, you're a warrior. man. <laughs> so um, and I, so uh, my world got a little chaotic. So I jumped right in, in the beginning, as I often do full on, I start writing about um, my, my first story I wrote was the time I shaved my head at a, at a spiritual retreat. So like no context, I just dove right in. It was something I needed to get out. And I, like you had people, you know, gravitating towards, um, gravitating towards it really enthralled and was building, um, was building um, a community around the work. And then we went on vacation. Lucky us, let me tell you. We went on vacation the last week of February, the first week of March. So that was hard to be present for my vacation, but I still had my iPad out most days and I was putting something in there. When we came home, I got an eye infection and it knocked me out. But so pandemic, uh, job loss, like it was chaotic here. Yeah, I've got to tell you that even though I didn't hit every single day, mm-hmm. the I was in there every day. Right. I was writing to other people every day. I was blogging. I was podcasting. I was shipping something every single day, just not my own writing. So right. I fell behind. And the thing that I enjoyed the most about your journey, because it was one of the most visible every single day ones that I saw where your work, you were inspiring me on days where it, I was either feeling unwell or in a lot of pain, um, trying to sort out something non-COVID in the middle of the pandemic was virtually impossible. It, right. That work kept me, yeah. you are among the people whose work kept me going and moving forward. And that never would have happened. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great to know. That is so great to know. Yeah. It, it, I, and likewise, like everyone's work ethic in there and everyone's showing up and shipping. It's just, I, I felt a sense of uh, like accountability. Like I, there were people who would say, oh, I wake up and I have my coffee and I listen to your dailies. So at this point, I'm I'm in the frame of mind where, okay. I'm very tired. I'm exhausted. My day is over. It's, you know, it's one in the morning. I'm exhausted. I should go to sleep. But no, I'm going to spend that 15 minutes, that 20 minutes and make sure that, you know, whoever wakes up and has their coffee, they have something to listen to. So it just became that, you know, sensibility of, of there's an audience and I have to make sure that the audience has what they need. So that's kind of just the driving force that kept me going was, you know, the people in the workshop that, you know. And you would, you, like you said, you would put, um, you know, the 20, 30 seconds of what you were working on into the, into your um, channel for lack of a better word mm-hmm. or into your dailies. And, and you would uh, editorialize a little bit. You would say, you know, I worked on the end of this today or today right. was a great day. Uh, uh, today. today was 
not a terrible one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But piece by piece, these, you wrote a 12 track album in a hundred days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of classical hundreds. music, like not of classical music, not little ditties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A hundred and seven days, 107 days to be specific. Yeah. Tell us about Cookie's Waltz. Cookie's Waltz, yes. So, so, yeah. So, Cookie is my mom's nickname. And it's a waltz because, you know, when I was a little kid, my mom used to take, you know, have a stand on her feet. And she was super into musicals. And she would just put on something and she would just waltz us around the room. And as we got older, she would, you know, just, if she felt like dancing, she would just grab me or my sister and just start waltzing. And she taught us how to dance. Um, so I felt no better way to pay tribute to my mother than to write a waltz for her. Um, and something very happy and up and uplifting and just something that reminds me of that time. Also, my mother now lives with my sister and her grandchildren. And this is the song that she'll teach my grand, you know, my nieces and nephews what she taught us. So this is kind of like a generational thing. And also for my sister, I sent it to her and I said, now you get to teach them what mom taught us. So it was like an honor to do this song. It was so, it's so amazing. I am, I'm melting listening to this. And, and when you were writing it, what I, uh, what it was reminiscent of for me is my grandfather, um, my grandparents on my dad's side are Czechoslovakian and my grandfather liked to waltz and they took care of me in their home when my mom went back to work and he would waltz in the living room very much like that. And just to have, like, just to have that, it was, it was very um, nostalgic but also illuminating that a new, like waltzing is, it's old. Classical music is old. And yet, and a new waltz can be created. Yeah, it's so old. <laughs> yeah. It was magical. Um, so in and around the hundred days, society shifted again. And, uh, and uh, George Floyd was killed. Yes, massive shift. And and you had completed your twelve track album, and then you got another request from your publisher. Yes, he called and we had a conversation, and he said, "I need one more." And I sighed very big, <laughs> and I said, "What's up?" And he says. I need a George Floyd piece. He said, I need to know, I need to hear your voice over this topic. You need to tell me and everyone how you feel about this. And honestly, this piece has been one of the most emotionally, I want to say draining, but draining is not the right word because it, it has been draining, but it has been also emotionally I've discovered things and more things about myself and being able to tell my version of the story and my version of how I feel in my own way. I've been protesting. This piece has been my own protest, uh, you know, saying that, you know, as an African-American man in this country who has experienced, you know, uh, racial bias my whole life, 
this is my way of saying, you know, that was, I'm angry about these things, but I'm also sad about these things, but also have hope for these things. But then I lose my hope because I know the, the history and the history hasn't changed, but the history must change. So this swaying, swaying emotions, every time I sit down to write this piece or put more work into it, it's just like going down the rabbit hole. And it sometimes it was very, very emotional. And I would have to take days and just kind of regroup myself and say, okay, you know what? Yes, that hurts, but you have to, you have to tell people how it hurts you. And this is your voice. Literally so, last night. Um, yeah. I'm happy to say the piece was literally finished last night. Um, hours ago, <laughs> but literally last night, <coughs> excuse me. Yes. And, and it is, I, I sent it to my publisher and we had a long text conversation early in the morning and he just thanked me and he said, this is powerful. And this, thank you. This needed to be said. And I can't believe this. And he was just, you know, blown away by it. And I was blown away that he was blown away. And this is, I'm glad this final, this was the, this was the cap that was needed for the whole album. It was one more that really was this emotional. And to just kind of land in the moment of, you know, your, your full self expression through classical piano is landing right in the moment of the full expression of Black Lives Matter. Exactly. It's there, I struggle, I don't struggle for words often, but I, I struggle for, for words on this. And, um, and a couple of things I noticed during that time was it was the first time that your dailies went quiet for days and as somebody who had been a part of the audience to your composing and, and you were very open mm-hmm. about what this piece was, when it, it was almost like you knew, I knew, we knew that you were, this was different. This piece was different. It was making different demands of you on every level, particularly, I would imagine, like emotional. Yeah. And then in my parallel life, my, my, what I do for a living, I'm a leadership coach. That's my title at this time. And, um, and that's been an evolution of my own journey. And I, as this white woman in my fifties in Toronto, as a leadership coach, watching what was happening at the leadership levels, you know, this entire year seems to be about leadership, even more so seeing what leaders are doing in a pandemic. And, and, you know, it's, everybody is stretched so thin. And I felt this obligation to put something out there before I, it, the timing was coincidental. I had I was in the dailies vacuum. I wasn't knowing about things like Blackout Tuesday or that there was anything big and social afoot um, as much as we can be social in social isolation. But um, I was like, I got to write. I've got to come out mm-hmm. before this guru podcast by yeah. Wondery that I'm in. Before, like when people 
land on this, if I end up in the media, if anything is going on, I need to have something that people can refer to for what me, my community that I'm building and creating the podcast is all about. And it was challenging because I had to take a look back on my, the best place to do it would be the Instagram feed for the podcast and see the vanilla white roster of guests that I've had on. And so I go into the dailies. I'm not, I'm now writing in the present. I write this big piece about what I, how I'm processing all of this. And and I'm referring back to one of my, my most um, often referred to books in times of growth, power versus force. And I write up this whole thing. I'm like, well, I want the people who I'm engaging with to see the thought that I'm putting in here. I want them to understand the consciousness level that I'm wanting to choose proactively instead of in hindsight. And I put this great big long piece into my feed. I tag my regular cohorts and I tag you and go to bed. Didn't sleep the whole night. I was like, you obnoxious white woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thinking it's too, like, it's about me. And, and at the same time, there's <laughs> feedback online to people saying, you know, uh, this is very tricky territory to go jumping uh, into. And so I have a restless night. I get up in the morning. You're three hours behind me. I, the first thing that I do, I go downstairs to meditate. And then after I'm done that, I pull up Instagram and I see your Instagram story telling a story about how your mother cookie taught. Do you remember what you shared in that story? Yeah. She taught me the protocol for dealing with police officers and it was a serious thing, you know, as a, as a kid. And she worked, like I said, she was an investigator. So she worked around law enforcement, but there was a whole protocol as to how, if you get pulled over, start with step one. Step one is, you know, make sure you don't reach in your glove box. Make sure you keep your hands where they're visible. Make sure you roll down your window this much and, you know, talk to the officer with respect. Don't call him a cop, call him a police officer. X, you know, there's, there's a banter. There's a whole protocol, step-by-step protocol that has to be followed. And the, the protocol is not, you know, if you're right or if you're wrong, this is just a protocol you follow to make sure that you get home, you know? So it's, it, you know, I told that's, I told that story and it's unfortunate that, you know, as a kid, I had to grow up in this environment where, that was important for me to know how to deal with police officers in a way that wouldn't put myself at harm's way, you know? So she knew that there were corrupt police officers. She was around them all the time. And she said, yeah, there's a lot of bad apples and you have to be safe. Do you remember how old you were when you were first introduced to this idea? Maybe about 13 just, yeah, maybe about 13, 14. Yeah, right before yeah. I started driving. So before I even knew how to drive, I knew how to be pulled over. Yeah, so you're walking, you know, I guess in the, at the stage where you've got enough freedom to be walking the na- your neighborhood right. on your own, to be even seen separate from your parents right. and as a potential a, air, a, uh, air quoting a threat. threat. Yeah. 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 
Um, this is, this, uh, this makes me, I'm, I'm angry on your behalf. Um, so that night that I, after I tagged, I tagged you, I had actually already checked you out thoroughly and decided I wanted to have you on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I had started to write to you at one point saying, Hey, you don't really know me, but I'm really interested in you. It's just one of, one of those messages. Mm -hmm. And I, I stopped it and my intuition or my sensibilities were like, ah, it's not the right time just yet. So this was all before any of this interaction. Mm -hmm. And then, so I watched your, your story on Instagram that morning this was the the morning after I'd written my piece. So this was like a Saturday overnight. Mm. And then the very next thing I see were your comments back on the, on the piece that I was challenged about having a tagged you and very uncertain that I was going to post it publicly. And uh, I don't have it in front of me right now to refer to, but you, you, um, it you came out like your reaction surprised me so much that I'm like ga- gasping over mm-hmm. it right now. Do you do you remember what that that was about? And it's okay if you don't. No, I don't exactly remember. Yeah, you you wrote you were you, first of all you thanked me. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you said this is exactly what I need to hear mm-hmm. that you're willing to take a look mm-hmm. at where you can, you know, stand with us, Mm -hmm. like with me, a black man, Mm -hmm. but also that because I made a list of all the areas that I could do better within my current influence. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think the, the, the bottom line of that whole exercise of even trying to write it out was realizing that we all have influence and influence starts at home but even in a very in a small business capacity, we all have customers. We all have people we're taking care of, or serving, or connecting with, and there are ways that we can do much better. Right. To now, you know, to to literally share the microphone. Yeah, yeah I, I just I just appreciated the, your words and what you said. I mean, to to sit back and actually take a moment to reflect on yourself and say, in what ways can I make myself better for this, um, for this group of people who are suffering right now was to me very bold and very brave. And I had to thank you for that. Like most people will say, yeah, you know, it's no big thing. I'm, I'm fine. What I'm doing is fine. No big deal. But to actually take that moment and, and, and it's just such a brave move. And I, I was, like I said, I had to respond to you. I had to let you know how much I was thankful for your bravery, especially in a moment like where we were. I, I'm, so, I'm deeply appreciative, appreciative of that, Charles. And at the same time, I feel like there's also like the cowardice involved that that's brave right? Like that ultimately standing up for what you believe in. And and I understand having had to stand up for different things over time, there's always a level of courage that's required. Um, and I don't know that anyone ever feels brave while they're being yeah, brave. Exactly. Like if someone's saying I'm brave right now. Yeah, they're, they're not, not really brave, brave now. <laughs> no way. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're not feeling no. it. They're t- yeah. <laughs> 
right? it comes with a certain amount of terror. It does. Yeah. It does. And it's that, that edge. And so, you know, after your feedback was enough to push me over the edge to say it would be okay, like, you know, in on sort of a permission level to put it out as it was yeah. and let it be about my process and let it be about showing the people who I, who I engage with um, the, the type of thought that I, I don't do much on a knee jerk reaction. I've lived to regret the times that I have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so showing the, showing the process, especially as a coach felt, you know, relevant in my little sphere, but also um, it was deeply affecting to know that, that you could receive it like that in the midst of where you were relatively speaking. Yeah. Um, Let's go back to the George Floyd piece. So, I'm more of a speaker and a writer. And so when someone says, you know, tell your story, hear your voice as a musician, not a vocalist, but as a, as a composer and pianist, what does, what does that mean to you? More than anything, it means that there's this thing where I feel like I have to open my chest up and let people see what's inside. And when they're able to see that vulnerability and what's inside, that's the voice. So in the case of this George Floyd piece, I mean, the beginning of it is just this kind of, it's basically me just beating the hell out of the piano because I'm just angry. And I have to let that, that was the first emotion. So the first thing you hear is me just banging on this piano. And as I was writing it, the beginning just kind of flowed. The beginning was easy. It was so easy. And this is where life kind of teaches me as I write. So having this angry moment was nothing. The next moment, I was just extremely saddened. Like someone died. And to dig into that emotion and start to tell that story was very difficult and very emotionally taxing. Um, and the, the piece kind of develops into this, this kind of, you can hear like it sways. One minute it's very angry, next minute it's very sentimental. Then it's angry again. Then it's kind of thoughtful and it's wondering why has this been going? You know, There's a moment where I, I really just said, I need to write a section that says, why has this been going on for so long? And why are we still here? And that section kind of spilled out. And maybe it's 30 seconds or something of me just saying that. And then it gets angry again. <laughs> so as you hear, I'm kind of on this roller coaster of emotions throughout this whole piece and throughout writing it. Um, I think that my voice, like I, I'm, I'm not a writer. I'm not a, a words person. Words to me are so complicated. <laughs> but sound makes sense to me. Um, so that's what it is, is to me telling things through, through, uh, this, through my voice, through the piano. And then piecing it together, I'm thinking of a couple of things here. One is that this, this story is like George Floyd has become a, um, more than George Floyd, he's become a a metaphor, a symbol of so many others before him. Correct. And since. Mm -hmm. Correct. We're still there. 
Has it even been a month yet? And then your process, as I'm listening to you describe the, the anger, the frustration, the sadness, that that's like the grieving process yes. balled in there. Mm-hmm. What what can we learn from from anger being the easy one? What's what was in that for you? Have you had a chance to even reflect? It's so it's so fresh. Yeah. And it's one of the things I've shared with with my friends who are protesting, and um, that anger is easy. The emotion of anger is very easy. It's very easy to be angry and respond to that emotion. But if you take the second, if you take that moment to get past the anger and get to the next emotion, that one is going to be more difficult, but it will be more rewarding if you address it sorrow i was very sad and and i had to have amazing that led to amazing conversations with friends with family and saying you know what i'm very sad about this guys what do we do i I spent i spent literally three days and everyone i would talk to the first thing i would ask is how do we fix this what do we do how do we fix it what do we do and that to me was a better question than me going out and rioting and, and breaking stuff. I mean, it's easy to break stuff, but to ask the real questions that really matter and sit down with intelligent people and start a conversation about how do we fix our, this problem that we're going with. I think it's much more difficult and it's much more empowering um, to get to that resolve than to just you know kind of explode. At the same time, you're making something, you're making the song. Yeah. Um, what were what were you hearing in your in your circles when you were asking these questions? Yeah, this is great. This is this is the conversation, though. This is the conversation that I hope for. Um, one of the things we we spoke about, um, which really for me kind of touched home, was um, just I, I I put it I'll put it like this. I had a conversation with a. a, a guy that I know from Instagram. He's a white male from Santa Monica and he was asking about what is equality. And I had to kind of list, he knows me as a pianist. He's also a pianist. And, and I had to kind of break it down for him a little bit and kind of explain where the inequality in this country has existed. You know, it's very difficult to see. Like I said, it's under the surface. It's not on the surface. It, it is on the surface because, yes, cops do kill Black people. Yes, it is on the surface. But the larger majority of it is like an iceberg, and it's completely under the surface, and you can't see it. And I explained to him how my sister, I went to Catholic uh, school all the way up until fifth grade, we got kicked out of the Catholic school because my sister decided to grab the bronze crayon instead of the peach crayon to paint Jesus. You know, let's color everyone. No, everyone let's color Jesus. She grabbed the bronze one and that my parents were called up to the school and there was a whole thing and we went to public school next year. Yeah. Because your sister saw Jesus to be like her. Yeah. 
She, you know, she read the the Bible, skin of bronze, and she picked up the bronze crayon. And that, you know, it just made sense to her. You know, she's a very logical person. Too. It made so much sense to her. And it was, it was, like I said, a big thing. Like it was a whole meetings. And I can't even, to, you know, I think about your sister. I think about you because that change impacted you, but for your, par- yeah. for your parents. Yeah. 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 That heartbreaking. And to be paying these guys, to be paying for private schools. They wanted us to have a better education. So they wanted to pay for private schools. And we got kicked out of private schools for that. You know, to me, it seems senseless, completely senseless. Um, But so many things like that have occurred throughout my life that have been very, like I say, under the surface attacks. and. I had to explain this to this guy and uh, in a way I think he got it. But then in another way, I think he didn't get it. He thought I was at an advantage because he says, well, you know, you had to struggle and it taught you how to fight harder. And then, you know, you went on tour with Rihanna. I'm saying, but imagine if I did not have the struggle, imagine where I would have been. I would have been, you know, that may look like a 10 to you, but it looks like a five to me. Well, I don't think it's fair to it. Oh, there, I know there's a word for it. And one word that comes to mind is whitewash. And I'll be the one to say mm-hmm. it in this conversation. That's totally whitewashing your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also in, in, there is a, there is a life there where that young girl or that young boy becomes angry and resentful right. and, and acts out in a different way that precludes them from the level of success that you've had. And, and that person may not, that, that could say a whole lot about you, but it could also say about a lot about the support structure and family that you had in place that, that not everybody has access to. Um, When, and you could have had the support structure and still, and still, still could have, you know, still. went left. Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. Then, and, and to negate the, I don't want to negate the experience because you've been successful, but I'm also curious in your success, you know, where you've played out in professionally, has that under the surface racism been there as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have been, even as, as professional, as successful as I have been, I've even been to places. Um, one of my things I always get is kicked off of pianos in public spaces. Like if there's a piano at a hotel, if I sit down and play it, there's a problem immediately. Sir, we can't have you playing the piano, this and that and the other. And then I start playing Beethoven and they kind of go, oh, well, okay. So it's always, even walking into piano stores, it's been that way throughout my entire life. I actually look forward to it now. I say, well, they're going to give me the crappy stuff first, and then they're going to have me play the expensive stuff in the back. And it usually plays out that way. So is, there's a certain expectation because of, of what the world has become. There's a certain way that I approach everything. I understand that I'm not going to be treated fairly at first. but I've put in the time that you're going to recognize me. You're going to have to see me. 
you're going to have to see that there is a talent and there's a skill and there's an ability that's larger than your preconceived racial bias. You're going to be like, oh, well, doesn't matter. I, you know, let me show him to the good stuff. Mm. And it's happened that way so many times. So many times. I've even had, I even had in Ireland, I've had a guy at a hotel take the, the lid of the piano and try to slam it down on my hands. And I've had to like, you know, pull one of these just to make sure, I'm, you know, protecting my hands. It's, it's been, it's hard. It's rough, but you know, you just kind of, you just know, I know who I am and that's very powerful. I know my power. I know my strength. I know what I possess. I know that I'm a good person. No matter who you are, what color you are, you could be purple and an alien. I'm still going to be good to you because you belong, because you're alive right now. You know, and that's more important is that we're all, we have more similarities than we have differences. And to me, I can see that. And I've always seen that. And that's more important than, um, than like I said, our differences. We're so similar. Everyone's, we're just one race. And, and I mean, just listening to you, just the, the size of your heart and I've had the, the benefit of watching because when, when people are creating, they're at their most vulnerable, you know, they're most exposed and the, the act of even the act of generosity, say of the piano player. And I've been, uh, I hope to have a chance to see you play a lobby. Um, yeah. Piano. I hope so. Um, sometime yeah. before too many years pass. <laughs> but I've been with my, I have a, a very close friend. Her name is Julie Min. She is a classical pianist and we've traveled together. And um, we were in Telluride, Colorado um, for a, an event. And there was a piano in the restaurant that we we were in. And, and Julie is a tiny Asian woman and the piano's you know, dwarf her <laughs> and she goes to sit down at the, the piano. And it's, it, it's almost like there's just a call. If there's a piano there, mm-hmm. she's going to play it. So I imagine it's got to be yeah. the same for Absolutely. you. And you're sharing a piece of your heart every single time. Every time. Yeah. So what, what is next for you, Charles? You, you've I, actually, before we go to what's next, I'm so curious, the pandemic, mm-hmm. it had to have disrupted your professional oh, life. Were you wow. playing, touring? Yes. You're in Las Vegas. Yeah, you- I'm in Las Vegas. Yes. And I had three tours. I had South by Southwest booked already. I had another tour called High School Nation that was booked. And um, there was a third one. Oh, it was a couple one-offs. But I had work and it all, you know, no festivals, of course. All that stuff fizzled away. Coachella fizzled away. Um, so in a way it affected me, um, as far as work, but then in another way, it was the benefit because it gave me the time and space to continue writing and do my, doing my own thing. Yeah. That, uh, that shift from, from sort of that being that out output mm-hmm. and were you, were you going to tour on your own or were you with, with, with other artists? Group? Yeah. With other artists, with other artists. Yeah. So the pandemic very much aligned for you right. to, yeah. to do what you've been doing. 
And, uh, and so as things are slowly opening up, hopefully some of that will, will come back, mm-hmm. but, but now you have this album, what's, what's the, the journey from here? Well, the writing is done, which is the first step. Um, right now, everything is being transcribed. So now I have it on paper and then I go into a whole, maybe a two week study of everything that I've written. And then we go in, we do recordings and we record it on a grand piano and then, you know, mix master, all of that stuff. Um, I am going through a rebranding right now with my publisher, which is very exciting. Um, unfortunately my parents gave me Charles Wilson and there's a million of those. Thanks dad. Um, but <laughs> at least two other piano yeah, players, at least two others, <laughs> you know, so now I'm going through a whole rebranding process, which is always fun for me because there's a, there's something about, uh, you know, having a new identity. For me, there's something about having a new identity. It's like you can change, you can, you can create this identity however you want it. Now the rules are whatever you want the rules to be. So going through that process as well. Um, and then um, probably doing a series of very small shows, maybe 10 person max sort of things. Um, and just get starting the tour in, 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 in a very small way. And as the world opens up, the tours can get bigger and bigger. That is so exciting. And even to, to backtrack, I think one of the surprising pieces of watching you compose is that when you, when you write a piece, it's, you write it, but then you have to learn to play it. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> I don't know why I do. I always say every, when I'm writing, I say, why do I do this to myself? I write a bunch of stuff I can't necessarily play yet. So yeah, and and then play it at temple. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like some the the waltz yeah. you you saw you the, showed us. Yeah, this tempo, and then I took it up five more BPM and five more and five more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have a, a huge. It's like a huge workout to get these pieces from their written state. Given that you know, to I'll date this for everyone. I'll, I'm going to publish it as quickly as I can, but. Wednesday, June 17th. So you finished the George Floyd piece last yes. night and posted it in the creative, in the creatives workshop this right. morning. Um, so that's where you are on that right. one. So now it's time to get, get to work in order to, real, to record. The real work starts now. Everything else was kind of fluff. Now the real, real work, like hours and hours and hours of studying, you know, four measures at a time, <laughs> you know, that sort of deal. Yeah. What I get from, from listening to you, and it is part of the context of, of some of the education we've had recently, is the level of professionalism. You know, and in, in the workshop, there's um, the way that Seth Godin, he opposes professionalism, being a pro with being a hack. Right. And, and not in a judgmental way, a hack is something who could be quite yeah. neutral, but comes in and hacks the thing to make the money and, and maybe move on. Mm -hmm. And the professional is is someone who shows up every day, drip by drip by drip. And it certainly has opened my eyes to what showing up can and could, and I will say should Mm -hmm. look like as a, as a pro, which I'm grapple with in my work. Um, Because there's a lot churning around getting it out every day is, is something very different. So difficult. (laughs) (laughs) 
so difficult. <laughs> um, before we, we start to wrap, what would you say, what, what keeps you a pro? What, what helps you to know when you say, I'm going to show up for a hundred days, I'm going to show up. Um, and now you're going to go into the studio and, and you're a pro. Yeah. Um, the audience, the people, the, the people are so important. Like I do this, I don't do this for myself. I do this for everyone, but myself. And that's what keeps me very professional is the, the fact that I know that I'm servicing. There's something about giving that it's very essential for my life. Like the feeling of, I know I gave something to someone. I know that that they're on the receiving end of this. And maybe this could be something that helped them when they needed it most. And, you know, music is medicine. I, I consider myself a doctor. You know, I consider myself a doctor better than other doctors. They wait till you're broken. I can fix you while you're still there. You know, so it's, it's that factor that keeps me going and keeps me motivated and keeps me professional to make sure I show up every day because it's important for someone out there that needs what I have to offer. And then while you're doing this in service, it's very, it's generous leadership. It's empathetic leadership. Um, I've seen, and, and you've shared how much it consumes of you to be able to, to create at this level. How do you support yourself and, and, and take care of yourself while you're, doing all of this oh well i'm i i take care of myself pretty well i mean i, I i'm very much about physical fitness I, I take care of myself in that way i also meditate like i make sure that my mind and my spirit all all are in a great space especially before i write like i have to make sure that i'm grounded in order to tell a story that's grounded um so you know, that's the thing that's very important is making sure physically I'm in a great space, spiritually I'm in a great space. Um, and that all kind of contributes in it, it to the work. Like, I think that's what helps me work in a better way is, you know, the balance and the other parts of my life. Did you learn that piece of it on your own through experience or did someone bring you that? Um, was that part of what you were taught by your teachers or, or your mom? And it, How did you pick A that? little bit of both. My teacher was very, very, very a grounded man. I mean, very extremely even keeled. Um, a disciplinarian, you know, a, a, a hard ass at times, but even keeled. And um, throughout my life, like more, I've had to find my own ways of, of being, finding balance. And I'll, I, that's one of my favorite things is, is to talk about is balance. I think balance is the most important thing at, for us as human beings is to find where your life kind of has its, its spot, the sweet spot. When you find the sweet spot, just stay in the sweet spot. Mm, that's so, so, so important, especially when you're putting, you're putting stuff out into the world. And I, I wonder for, you know, we're looking at, times moving forward where I, I think as human beings, we, and, and as you know, you're, I consider you a leader, you're a leader in your field, you're leading in, with your music. Um, and, but everyone is being asked to, you know, to think on a different level, to behave on a different level, 
And, and that would even, I would even said that just after the pandemic, right. never mind everything. Cause it's suddenly what? No instant gratification. Yeah. You have to stay at home for months yeah. to get the desired result. Society. Yeah, exactly. Sit your ass yeah. down. Right. right. Like, my still mind blowing. Yeah. I I'm look forward to being able to explore that in hindsight, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, because we don't really know the end of the story yet, but, um, but even more so on the social systemic issues mm-hmm. of racism, of toxic leadership and the, you know, it's all sadly intertwined with politics, mm-hmm. but you know, core human being level stuff. Mm-hmm. You're being asked to think more, to become more present and conscious, and to express more. And that is uncomfortable, deeply uncomfortable. So there's a like a self-care piece that is necessary. Right. Yes, absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so Charles, um, rebranding. Rebranding, can I infer from that that there may be a name change coming? There definitely is a name change coming. I was teasing, we spoke on the phone last week and I was teasing you saying, so (laughs) after we record, you'll have to get back to me with your new handle, like artist or pianist. Um, You're obviously in a process for that right now. Ahead of, this is a part of you going out on your own. Right it wouldn't be needed if you were staying yeah. as a supporting piece. Right. Um, it's exciting. Very it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, all of those things. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I wanted, what I'll do is when you're through that process, I'll find out from, we'll stay in communication mm-hmm. and, but I want to put this out there because I think the world needs to hear from you sooner right. than your album. Awesome. I would like the world to hear yeah. from you right now in this moment and thank you so much for introducing me to you know i've always understood that music has transformative power and healing power but i've never been witness to the creation of new music and it has been just awe-inspiring I very feel very privileged and very grateful to have been witness to what you've been creating. Oh, thank you so much. I thank you for your support. Like it, it means nothing with without the people that support it and and you know check the dailies and, and give me great feedback. Well, and it's also I will say my honor to have you on here to help to amplify your voice oh. on on all of the issues. And, uh, and I look forward to, uh, I already know I want to have you back uh, awesome. <laughs> to, to check in and, and to share your journey and, and your worldview as, as we go through what are hopefully some very defining changing times. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. This has been so cool. Oh my, conversations like this make me wish I could podcast every single day. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you would wander over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leave a rating and review. And there is a special behind the scenes bonus, literally, when we finished 
recording, Charles and I got to laughing about how serendipitous it was that we were both at the Toronto SARS benefit concert in 2003. And he said he would send over some photos from that day. So there are some photos from the stage and backstage that are on the episode website. And that will always be, regardless of any name or handle changes, at lauratucker.com forward slash episode 67. But the link is in your podcast application as well. I have included the, the link to follow Charles Wilson on Instagram if you want to watch his journey unfold, as well as to Seth Godin's Akimbo workshops, where workshops like the Creatives Workshop um, live. So on that note, I think that's everything, um, except to invite you, if you would like to be a part of the Free Your Inner Guru leadership community, we are gathering over on Patreon. You can follow that link at patreon.com forward slash free your inner guru to see what that's about. But bottom line, I'm creating a community where conscious leaders gather to have big conversations in and amongst themselves with the goal to creating positive change in the world. And I would love to have you join us there or to come on as a supporter of the Free Your Inner Guru podcast. And who knows, maybe one day I will be able to do this every day, all day long. For now, I know you have a lot of choice where you listen and appreciate your time, attention, and energy. I'm Laura Tucker, signing off for Free Your Inner Guru. Thank you.